The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook for the month of April is Zero Mile Mark. For a limited time only, listeners can head over to ZeroMileMark.com and take advantage of the free tent promotion. Zero Mile Mark is a veteran-owned company that strives to offer high-quality, active outdoor sports gear. They're on mission to get people outdoors by offering an array of products like tents, backpacks, hammocks, sleeping pads, lighting, and more. All sales have a 30-day warranty and ship via two-day shipping to 97% of the United States. It's a free tent. It's easy checkout. It's fast shipping. Head over to ZeroMileMark.com and add any item into your shipping cart. And when the cart exceeds $30, a tent will appear automatically for $0. It's ZeroMileMark.com. Check it out today. I personally know their owner, Brian. He's a great guy, and he's partnered with us to do a great giveaway. It's a 35-liter outdoor pack and their dome tent. You can follow the links in the show notes and sign up today. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Well, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I am you. Well, a gentleman I just met, but... He is the CEO or president, we'll get the exact title here in a second, of Promise Keepers. I'm getting to talk to Ken Harrison today. Ken, how are you doing? I'm good, Jared. Thanks. Good deal. Well, why don't we pray, and then we'll get into a series of questions that I have for you today. Father, we thank you for this time. I just ask that you would lead this discussion I thank you for all the work that you have done in the past with Promise Keepers, and I'm excited to hear about what you're continuing to do. I thank you for Ken and his willingness to talk with me today, and I pray that this would be an encouragement to everybody who listens. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would lead. I trust you're going to do that. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Ken, for those who may not know who you are, would you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, and and then tell us... um, a little bit about what you currently are up to and what my actual title is. Yes. And what your actual title is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I started off, uh, adulthood as a policeman in Los Angeles on the LAPD, uh, stationed down in Watts Compton area, as people would know, South central Los Angeles, and then went through all the gang wars and the Rodney King stuff, which would, it gave me a real perspective as a young man. Um, one of those perspectives was just because you're standing up for what's right doesn't mean you're going to be popular because it was an unpopular Mm -hmm. time to be an LA cop uh, back in the early nineties. And then got into business and got really um, just supernaturally blessed that business and ended up running a a very large um, international commercial real estate firm and retired in 2012 and then started running a large foundation called the Waterstone foundation. uh, And we give away about $2 million a week um, through Waterstone. In, in the course of all of that, a little bit like you, Jared, I started to do discipleship groups for men all over uh, Denver, Colorado. Just had so many guys come to me and say, hey, teach me how to be a man like you. How, why is your marriage so happy? Why are your kids so uh, well-raised and following Christ the way they are? So I realized you, you can't really teach a man to be a man unless you teach him how to be a disciple. Hmm. Once a man lays down his rights to himself, once he picks up his cross daily, makes that choice, then suddenly how to be a man, how to make your wife happy and how to raise your kids. Well, all of a sudden they all start to fall into place because you start to fall in love with God's word. You start to have a, a, a hatred and an intolerance of sin in your own life. 
Yeah. And then suddenly you become a real man. And so in the course of all that, one day, uh, a guy walked into my uh, discipleship group and said, it's Raleigh, Washington, the president of Promise Keepers. And I said, Promise Keepers? That's still a thing. And um, <laughs> he asked me to come on the board to help him. I said, no. He, he, he asked several times that he really needed help. Just come to one board meeting and get him some help getting paid. I went to one board meeting and went, saw their financials. By the time I got done yelling at the board, they voted me chairman. <laughs> and I literally, I brought Promise Keepers into the foundation, into Waterstone to close it. I wanted no part of Promise Keepers. Um, we, we paid off all of their debt and we went to gracefully close the doors. And that's when the Lord, it's a longer story for a different day, but got a hold of me in a supernatural way and said, no, 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 no. This is, this was, this is for you. And I went home to my wife and said, I feel like if I don't bring back Promise Keepers, I'm going to get swallowed by a big fish. I mean, that was how strong mm. the call was. And, um, it's been a, a two year, two and a half year, absolute intense journey to get us to where we are at this point, the promise keepers, man, we are ready to relaunch in a very healthy uh, and vibrant way. And God, the, the blessings he's brought and the people I've met, it's just been really something. Fantastic. All right. So several of my listeners would be at least familiar with the words promise keeper. Mm. Would you kind of give, I'm sure now that you've been in it for a little while, a couple of years now, or however long you said it's been, I'm sure you've familiar with the history of promise keepers would you just kind of bring people up to speed on on bill mccartney and how fast promise keepers spread from the first meeting to the third meeting to everything that happened through the 90s would you just kind of give us a brief overview of the history of promise keepers yeah it's an amazing lesson and it's an amazing lesson for every pastor to watch because promise keepers was one of the biggest movements in the history of the church and an absolute template for what to do right and what and what not to do and mm -hmm. so Coach was, uh, he started in 1990 and the first Promise Keepers event had 2,500 guys at it in Boulder, Colorado. He was the football coach at University of Colorado, uh, won the national championship a couple years later. Uh, it, the next year it exploded to, I think it was 22,000 guys at the football stadium. The next wow. year, 92, the stadium was sold out. And then it became this movement that 7 million men went to Promise Keepers events in the 90s. Uh, one year they had 27 sold out NFL stadiums just worshiping the Lord for two days. It's a Friday night and a Saturday. You'll hear guys say that the, the feeling of hearing 60,000, 70,000 men singing amazing grace is something that you cannot recreate the power of that because there's such an authenticity when men come together, they take off their little mask. There's no women around that they need to act macho for. And there's a vulnerability that happens. And, uh, but many guys in their, their late 30s and early 40s tell me that, that they went with their dad when they were early teens, mm -hmm. and that's the time their dad told them he loved them for the first time. That's the time they saw their dad fall on his knees and beg for forgiveness to the Lord for his alcoholism, for neglecting his family, go home and apologize to his wife and completely transform. And so it was powerful. Um, what occurred uh, in 97, you had the climax. In October of 97, you had Stand in the Gap. Everyone calls it the Million yep. Man March. That was not what it was called. It was called Stand in the Gap. 1.4 million men. Biggest event in the history of Washington, D.C. Went to the mall. Uh, unbelievable gathering. And then it began to decline. And essentially what happened was those years from 90 to 97, Promise Keepers, when you study the history, was a complete mess. Unbelievably disorganized. Guys mm. didn't know what they were doing. The Holy Spirit was free reign, and the Holy Spirit does what He does, which is what He wants to do, and not really worried about the confines and constructs of man. 
Um, by the end of 97, there was so much money and power and influence. So many guys were surrounded um, that I basically say they just started to kill the movement with their mm. pride and their egos. And uh, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, obviously, but right. um, and you had so many amazing people involved. But it's sad to see what occurred as the Promise Keepers began to decline, that by the time we got to 2007, 2008, it just was a shell of what it had been. And yeah. then became an empty shell that I ended up with. And the goodwill of Promise Keepers has been unbelievable. The name, the reception, the people who have flung open their doors. I mean, um, you know, the, I had a real education when I first took over Promise Keepers. And I said, well, we, we got to get something done. And Tony Evans gave me a call. And I'm down there meeting with Tony. And we're praying together. And I realized, well, this is really, this name is still so beloved. That, that a guy like Tony Evans wants to meet a nobody mm. like Ken Harrison simply because Tony's a godly fatherly figure who wants to say, who is this guy who now has this name and what's he going to do with it? And boy, I, Tony said, what can I do to help you? And I said, nothing. I said, uh, just sit back and wait, see if I'm mm. for real. And if I am, I'd love for you to get involved. And he called a year later and said, I'm all in. And so it's been that kind of a ride. Wow. Man, that's amazing. That was my experience. Um, Mid thirties went with my church, with my father. I think it was 99. Maybe it was a smaller event, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. And a group of guys from the church had been going for years. There was a group of men that went from our church to the stand in the gap event. But what was so powerful and what that seemed to launch in our church. And I think that anecdotal evidence is, is pretty, pretty sure from the people I've talked to those baby boomer men that were in the nineties, that, that age group, it seems like their dads modeled hard work, but were mm. just a bunch of hard-nosed men. And those baby boomer men who experienced promise keepers, it seemed like it was just this, this first time um, being called to be a man, and I, it's okay to say I love you and hear somebody else say I love you to me. Mm. It was just a mm. massive move, and I got to experience some of that just at my local church. It was a pretty powerful experience even when I went in, I think, 99 or 98, something like that. Um, but you said things did begin to dwindle. Okay. So now things began to dwindle and all the way to where you've taken over, where it's just, a, I mean, it was a shell of a shell of what promise keepers was now, as you look back and almost any move of God, you're able to look back and evaluate, okay, what was that? You know, what in the world happened? What were some of the, let's start with the positives. What were some of the positive things that, that came out of promise keepers at its height, maybe those first seven years. And then, what were some of the things where you could say, you know what, that we're going to have to positively learn from the negative because we don't want to repeat that. Mm. That's a good question. Um, you know, one of the biggest positives is it really lit a fire under men to get involved. Um, the church, I think by the early nineties had declined to a, a point where it is again now and for, and worse now of passivity, men sitting in a pew, doing a little religious thing, going home, doing nothing for another week and coming back and sitting in the pew. And, and that's not the church of Christ. Christ called right. us to make the choice to pick up our cross daily and follow him, serve him, obey him. And that's where the power and the joy of the Christian walk comes in. That's how we're filled with the Holy Spirit is when he has complete control over us. And so promise keepers in those days, when guys were able to look around and go, wow, I'm not alone. Uh, there's tens of thousands of men here who are just like me and who have the same mm. questions that I do. And really a lot of the pastors and the, the, the teachers that we see today um, that we respect so much were really became celebrities, if you will, 
because of Promise Keepers, they had a bigger stage. And so mm -hmm. the voices of Chuck Swindoll and Tony Evans and yeah. Steve Farrar, Stu Weber were able to uh, respectable, great teachers. And so people were able to say, okay, those are the kind of pastors that I want to follow. Um, also just an abandon to worship. Um, again, the Promise Keepers thing, the speakers were awesome, but when you ask people, tell me about Promise Keepers, the first thing they talk about is the worship and the singing and the music. Mm. It's not the speakers first. Not, and again, not taking anything from the speakers, but that total right. abandon to the Holy Spirit that, that came over guys. Um, you know, the problem, the negative, I think, is sometimes um, the after effect when something fails can be worse than when you began because uh, if Promise Keepers had a failing it was a lack of discipleship and so mm -hmm. guys would come out of those movements you know I mean, you went you remember it um they were ready to charge the hell with a bucket of water <laughs> right. and yeah. then they had nowhere to go i mean i mm -hmm. <clears throat> as an analogy i tell guys you know i went to marine corps officer candidate school when i was in college and how that works is you you you're in college and then for the summer you go and you just become a marine and you get crushed and then you get out of college you become an officer in the marine corps and so I spent the summer of 1986 being told I was a lean, mean, killing machine. And we graduated and they said, you're a Marine, you're a lean, mean, killing machine. Now go back to college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. I went back to college and there was no one to kill. Yeah. And it was a bizarre feeling. And that's a little bit like it was a promise keepers. Like I want to be in the army of God. I'm going to go. But there was no, nobody grabbing that. Now some churches did a good job, but overall, guys would go back to St. Jude's Episcopal church the next day and raise their hands and singing and people would look at them like, what is going on with this guy mm -hmm. who just came from promise keepers and they'd be all fired up for a few months. But this time we've learned from the past, as you said. Um, so discipleship would be a major part of the promise keepers that we're doing. Okay. And so we're coming back to AT&T stadium this July 31st and August 1st, home of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, assuming the virus thing doesn't get in the way. And as of now we're right. still planning on being there. And if we're not going to be there, then we'll do a virtual event and then we'll be back either the year after. But there will be a follow-up. There will be an app. We're putting guys into fire teams um, for discipleship, giving them content and doing it all through the local church so that pastors see that we're a partner of theirs. They're to help build up their men and build their church, not to come in and take over or something. We're all in the army of God. We're just trying to call up their warriors from getting off their butts in the pew and mm -hmm. getting into the game. And so that's, I think, the number one thing we've learned is, and that was, a, by the way, the original vision of Coach McCartney was discipling men. It just, it just got so big so fast that sometimes, you know, the, the, the small details like that get lost. And yeah. Coach always thought the church would pick up the ball and run with it. I don't think he realized how weak the church had become by the early mm -hmm. 90s as a whole. Okay. So the that's a good assessment of promise keepers at the movement level. Now let's go down to the, let's assess the men uh, that were a part of the promise keepers. And I think that, okay, positives and negatives of, or, or positives of what we can learn from those men. I'm wanting to, I want to know where are those promise keepers now? Where are the 1.2 million that marched the streets of, of Washington, DC and filled arenas all across the globe? They were my dad's age and they raised millennial people sons and daughters and you know i'm the oldest end of the millennials and there's so much that's been said about us as we're entering into some some millennials are entering into grandparent life believe it or not um i still i kind of got a late start on some things so my sons are still little we're still young but 
millennials have been a train wreck theologically, uh, a lot of ways. I mean, there's, there's definitely more conservative, you know, people who have just said, what does the Bible say? And have dove down deep into the scriptures and a lot of millennial pastors out there. So I want to, there's positives and negatives. Where, where have these men gone? Where are the promise keepers? I mean, have they, what are the, the things they've done well since the nineties? And what are the things that they've not done well? Is it the same thing as promise keepers as an institution or is it something different as you assess manhood and those men from the nineties today? I mean, that's a really good question too. Um, a lot of ministries have come from promise keepers. There are a ton of smaller ministries, wingmen, um, iron sharpens iron, things like that. And they've done a great job. Yeah. That's a small mm-hmm. minority though. The vast majority, if you look at the promise keepers movement, it was a pretty blue collar movement. It was a man on the street. It was a, you know, Joe six pack kind of movement of guys. It, there was mm-hmm. not, um, you know, when you have 80,000 guys in a stadium, just pouring our hearts out. Most of them were not leaders. What I'm finding is that there is such a pent up demand from those guys. Now, someone please lead us. There is an army of the men of God out there waiting. Someone please. So those guys, I don't think went anywhere. I just think they needed strong doctrinal teaching um, and leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at, yeah, I mean, the average age of the guys that went through promise keepers back in the nineties was 39.6 years old. That means okay. that today they're around 60 years old. Yep. Um, and, for the most part, they didn't do the best job of raising their kids. I mean, let's face it. Um, I do believe there's a confusion, and this is where you need leadership coming in. So you you talked about the fathers of the baby boomers. Yeah, those guys all fought World War II, right? Or mm-hmm, World War right. One even. And then those baby boomers, a lot of them fought in Vietnam. So a lot of them got baptized mm-hmm. into being a man. They they didn't they didn't come out into adulthood and wonder, well, am I a man? What 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 would happen if I face something? Now, yep. your generation, and I'm at the very oldest end of the Gen Xers. Um, okay. One of my kids was joking with my wife the other day, and I don't know if you heard this demeaning term, okay, boomer. You know, that millennials say if a baby boomer says something that's overly conservative, then they'll say, okay, boomer. It means like sit down and shut up, you know. Oh, so one of, the kids was, one of my kids was joking, and so she texted um, my wife, okay, boomer. And my wife said, I don't even know what that means. And then <laughs> my sons like chimed in, your mom, you're making it worse. And then I, I, te- I joined the group text and said, Hey, we're Gen Xers, you idiots. We were the cool generation. <laughs> there you go. That's right. You're rocking out the Pearl Jam and Nirvana. That's right, man. We were, <laughs> we were Star Wars. We were all the cool stuff. Um, so, um, so what happened is a lot of the, this generation, the, the boom, the Gen Xer generation of mine, I graduated high school in 1985, your generation, a lot have not been affirmed as men and they don't know what it means to be a man. And um, it wasn't the best affirmation. You know, Vietnam wasn't exactly uh, great, but it certainly you came out of there with a, a, a masculinity thing. So a lot of these guys had no template. It's the first time in the history of mankind, really, where we had men had to come together in interdependent communities to survive for the history of the world. You had to have mm-hmm. skills that you brought to the community and you had to exercise those skills in a responsible way. And if you didn't, you were cast out and you couldn't survive. So men became men yep. out, of, out of a need and other men judged them on whether they were men. And as the industrial revolution occurred, well, some things came along that kept the decline of masculinity, World War I, II, Vietnam. Now suddenly we're in this time where men are not becoming men, they're not responsible, and there hasn't been some sort of a war that has forced them to be responsible. And so I don't mm-hmm. think that those boomers knew what to do with that. They didn't know. That's number one. Number two, much more spiritually and applicable to all this, 
Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we need to transform the culture and not be conformed to the culture. Mm, and good. if we're transformed and we're not conformed, then we'll know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so we have been conformed to the culture as a church, largely yep. as men. Um, we're afraid to stand up and say what's right. And, and I do believe, um, you know, one of the questions you ask yourself when God, and like I told you, he just forced promise keepers into my lap. And I was like, I don't want, I don't want this Lord. And he was like, no, you're doing this. Well, why me is the question you begin to ask. I don't believe that God does things in the church age through a person. We, we tend to look towards the Old Testament. We see Elijah and Moses and Abraham, and we go, I, I wish I could be like them. God today calls bodies of believers. Hmm. And I believe that God is calling promise keepers back to stand up for his word boldly as a body. He's not calling Ken Harrison, but he needed a leader in Ken Harrison. He needed somebody who was fearless, somebody who um, had been through those trials in South Central Los Angeles and been in shootings and, and then been in international business at a high level so that I don't, I'm not worried about whether I'm going to get my next paycheck. I don't get paid by promise keepers and nor will I ever. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not worried about whether I'm popular. I'm worried about standing up for the word of God. Yeah. And so we have to have leaders like that because men are looking for someone to follow again, not to be a hero. We, we, I, I think idolization is a big problem in the church. We keep elevating these pastors and these guys. And I want to be like that guy. That is not scripture, hmm. but bodies of believers. And so I do believe promise keepers can do an amazing thing moving forward if we show leadership to guys, if we show that we're unwavering in, in the face of persecution, if we show that we're absolutely dedicated to God's word and we won't compromise. Those are the things I think that so many millions of men are looking for. And if we actually bring that out, if we persevere, I believe the power of the church, we will see a spiritual awakening in this country through the men who have been held down by their sin. When enough guys, promise keepers being that basket of guys, just one entity of many, not we're not the, the main thing. God doesn't need us. But when you see all these guys, like I mentioned, Stu Weber and Tony Evans and Steve, Ford, those mm -hmm. guys are all still around. Yeah. And we're going to bring them all back right. and say, hey, declare the word of God. So I hope That's that answers good. was a very long answer to a simple question. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, listen, we could talk for more, I mean, for probably hours on end, just with cultural analysis and where we're at today as a society, where are the men today in our society, and just it's about the men of the church, the men of the world, what does it even mean to be a man? Uh, the dignity of, of manhood and womanhood, not just asexual humanity, but but the dignity of uh, an engendered mankind, male and female. We could have a lot of great discussions. I want to throw something your way and have you answer, and then we're going to close things up here in just a few minutes. But um, you're, you have an opportunity to talk to pastors here. Why should pastors encourage their guys? Why should I, as a pastor here in Southern Illinois, encourage me to bring the guys down to Dallas? Why should people consider... Why should men consider coming to Promise Keepers 2020? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, and, and also, we will, just, just throwing something on that, we're going to do one event per year, and just one, okay. and we will be simulcasting it. And so okay. we do want guys to get on buses and come down. But for those who say, hey, man, there's just no way, uh, we'll, you'll be able to show it in your church. Um, why should you? I'll tell you one of the biggest reasons why is we're going to take on issues that are really hard for pastors to take on. And um it's hard for pastors to take it on for a number of reasons. Number one is you, you have you know, your congregation, you have children, you have women in there, and there's certain conversations that men need to have without children and women in there. And um, 
-hmm. Also, we're going to take on the controversial things, the things that maybe your head elder doesn't want to have to hear because she's your biggest donor. Uh, guys in the loan I'm talking about mm-hmm. at promise keepers. We're going to take on pornography and sexual sin. Um, pornography is destroying manhood. It's destroying masculinity, uh, I, sexual sin. Um, and if you, you know, if you want to know how Jesus feels about it, all you have to do is read revelation uh, chapter two, when Jesus is talking to the church of Thyatira and warning them against Jezebel, that false prophetess who's teaching his sin, his saint sexual sin and meat sacrifice to idols. And he says he's killing people with deadly disease because they're, they're in sexual sin in the church. I, I haven't mm-hmm. heard a sermon on yeah. that one recently. So um, <laughs> we're going to talk about sexual sin. We're going to talk about pornography and how it's destroying masculinity and how unrepented un- un- sin makes cowards of us all. Mm-hmm. And um, we see men not standing up for what's right uh, many times because they feel like they're dirty. And they know that Jesus died for their sins. And they've been saved by his grace, but they know every day as they are in unrepentant sin, they're re-cursed, re, re, uh, persecuting him, you know, mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter 10. The other thing we're going to stand up for is against abortion. Mm-hmm. Oh, keepers never took a stand on that, and I think it was a mistake. And we're not going to stand against abortion by yelling that it needs to be outlawed, which of course it does, but that's not our, mm-hmm. that's not our lane. We're going to stand up and say, men, you need to be accountable for who and what you are. Many, many men in that stadium will have been responsible for abortions, and we're going to call them for to give them a chance to dump that on the altar of Christ and be forgiven for the mm. murders that they helped to cause. Um, we're also going to challenge them if you, um, you're passionate against abortion. Well, if you sin and you get a girl pregnant who you're not married to, then you commit to raising that child spiritually, financially, emotionally, because most abortions occur because the man took off or he coerced a woman to have an abortion. So you want to fight abortion and you start being responsible. So yeah. we're going to have the kind of conversation in grace, but with authority um, to guys that maybe a lot of pastors don't feel like they can have, but boy, when you get them to promise keepers, we're going to have a conversation as men about how to be men that maybe you can't yeah. have in your church. That's good stuff. Here's my assessment for what it's worth. And I get the opportunity now to talk with the CEO of <laughs> Promise Keepers. Uh, Promise Keepers, I, I think your assessment was right on about uh, where men got to experience worship and praise and singing to the Lord. And then some of the negative uh, about things that we could positively, that you guys could positively learn from the discipleship aspect of it. The two things that I think as I look back on my life and experience with the men at our church and with the experiences that I had with promise keepers is that uh, hammering home justification by faith faith alone. What is the basics of the gospel of Jesus freedom in Christ and power through justification to fight and war against sin. And Mm -hmm. just the simplicity of the gospel message hitting the hearts of men. uh, What I, what I see is that we're a lot of men that were passionate. I'm going to be a man for God. And the gospel message was turned into masculinity where I'm, I'm big on that. I'm training the, the event that I'm doing this year is the manly pastor. Why has God only called men to be pastors? But mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear you see that manhood is directly connected to hatred of our personal sin. Mm-hmm. And I think if that's the path that Promise Keepers is moving forward, hatred of sin and fighting abortion and laying that sin at the altar of Christ and, and running to Christ for forgiveness and recognizing the grace that's in him, man, you guys are moving in, in the right direction. And I'm excited to hear about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'd say we're definitely um, a more conservative this time around. 
Um, awesome. and I hope that is all positive. Um, but we're not, we're not doing the name it and claim it crap. We're, we're calling it out <laughs> and I, yeah. and I, and I, we don't want to cheap teach cheap grace. And I yeah. think yeah. absolutely Amen. justification by faith. Solo fide is so important, but mm-hmm. I do believe the church has overdone it with the grace thing. And we have to remember that Ephesians two, eight, nine, you know, for grace you're saved by faith, not of yourselves is in the Bible, but so is Ephesians two ten. We are Amen. God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand Amen. that we should walk in them. Yes, you were saved by grace. But the reason you were saved is so that you could do good works. You don't do them mm-hmm. so you can get into heaven. You do them because we love our Father and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be poured out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where we're stopping our, our message at Ephesians 2.9. And mm-hmm. men are going, well... There doesn't seem to be anything to do here. I got mine. I'm saved. And so I can't lose my salvation. So why am I even going to church? And yeah. we have 65% yeah. of evangelical men don't even go to church anymore. And when you mm. look at the message that's being preached in a lot of churches, why should they? Mm. What's the point? Yeah. We, we got to bring back the point. Yeah. Guys are counting mm. on you, on every guy listening to this. Every time we walk into a Starbucks, why anybody goes to Starbucks? I don't know. Their coffee's terrible. But you go into a <laughs> coffee shop and you, you see someone, can I tell them about the Lord. I was just talking. Uh, well, I, I think A.R. Bernard be, would be okay with me using his name. A.R. Bernard almost died of the COVID virus. And we were talking mm-hmm. yesterday. He's a, got a huge church in New York. And he told me about how affected he was because for two days he was completely out of his mind. He told me he had a 50% mm-hmm. chance of dying. And he said he was terrified to go to sleep because every time he went to sleep, he would dream that he was in this blackness and he was walking up and he would stare over um, into the abyss and see that all these souls being tortured. And he said, man, I, I came out of that COVID virus. Here he is famous pastor, massive church for 42 years. I said, dude, it changed my perspective. It changed the mm. urgency with which I see. And was he really seeing in the abyss? I mean, I, I don't know. He, he didn't say that he did. But just having those nightmares of what yeah. it would look like made him remember, I need to save souls, man. I got to tell mm. people about Christ. Yeah. And it's good. It's so good. Okay, where can people find more about Promise Keepers? Um, just tell us the website. Tell us where we can go to find out more information. Thanks. Uh, PromiseKeepersEvent.com is directly on this event at, at AT&T. PromiseKeepers.org is the bigger website. It'll show you our board. We have a pastor's advisory board with some really neat, impressive names on there. Randy Elkhorn, um, uh, Crawford Loritz. Um, and then a lot of data on there. There's a lot of videos, a lot of resources, a lot of really cool devotionals. I, I think that some really great stuff for pastors if you're preaching sermons. And uh, this week we're putting up a new tab, which is called Great Sermons. And so we're, we've actually taken some sermons by some preachers that we really love and some really good stuff and putting them on there so that guys just sequestered at home can have some really good orthodox teaching that they can go to and, um, and learn. Mm. Well, I tell you what, may God do again what he did in the nineties and may it be lasting impact in our country and our world. And may God raise up a group of men that are promise keepers that, that follow Christ and love their, love their families, love their church, love their work. And uh, man, I, I long for that. And uh, I appreciate the work that you guys that you guys are doing, that you, your team, your advisory council, all that you're doing. I so appreciate it. And I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do. Thanks, Jared. I love what yeah. you're doing. This is a great podcast. Great questions. Well, good, well, good, good deal. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. 
You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.